0: welcome to last call with jamie and christian our guest today daryl mosley assistant coach at arizona state coach mosley how are you doing today
1: i'm doing great i'm doing great thanks for having me
0: I love it. How, how's the weather out there in uh, w- with the Sun
1: Devils? Oh, it's beautiful. Um, it's actually starting to cool out a little bit. And our cool now is 94, 95. You know, just a few months ago, it was about 115 and 112. And uh, me being a Pennsylvania guy, I see everybody on social media and Facebook <laughs> and my family saying it's getting pretty cold and rainy. And, you know, everybody back home is starting to turn on the heat. And so... It's been fun to still be able to leave the the place and, you know, enjoy beautiful sunny weather.
0: I love it. Well, let's go ahead and get started here, man. Let's talk a little bit about just like your coaching journey. Our membership is just like learning all these different things about our coaches that we bring them on here. We feel like you're a great person for them to connect with. Been an assistant coach, been a head coach, very successful head coach, back to being an assistant coach and kind of making moves. And I think it's just important for people to understand the coaching journey and how it can take so many different turns. Um, Let's start out, man. Let's start from the beginning, man. Let's start with, uh, you know, your decision to to get into college basketball.
1: Uh, Well, it started from, you know, my just my collegiate you know, career, um, you know, highly recruited, you know, out of high school, uh, you know, seven, eight division one offers that decided to go to Delaware state to start my playing career, you know, play with nationally, you know, ranked Chester high where we were just, you know, running gun, you know, high tempoed, athletic uh, as a team. And so, you know, we were really good. And so uh, coming out of high school, I kind of had to focus on just defense um, just to find playing time because we were so good and had a deep roster. And so, so I did, then decided to transfer um, to Lincoln University in Pennsylvania, you know, my uh, junior year. And of course, I wish back then we had the transfer portal where you didn't have to sit out. Um, you could just go somewhere and play right away. And that was one of the reasons why I decided to go down to Division Two. Um, I had some Division One schools wanting me to come and sit out, but me, you know, not really seeing the floor as much, you know, my freshman, sophomore year, I didn't really want to sit out, you know, for that third year, I wanted to go somewhere and make an impact right away. Mm-hmm. So I chose the Division II, um, Lincoln University was excited to go there. My uh, younger sister uh, was choosing to go there as well. So just as a family, I knew it would be Um, easier travel arrangements and stuff for my parents to come see us both play at the same time. And I kind of already had a a relationship with the coach. And so once I decided to go, it was just like, I didn't see the writing on the wall about um, Lincoln kind of, you know, moving from division three to division two and all the promotion and highlighting was just, you know, uh, Lincoln is going to be a part of the CIAA conference, not knowing, you know, before I decided to come that they still had to serve a two year provisional year. And so it was kind of like, at that point, I already committed. I signed a, you know, a, a grand need, you know, I'm already enrolled in class. And it's just like, wow, you know, this is kind of like a slap in the face. You know, I'm going to play my last two years of college ball and it's going to really mean anything. You know, it's like an intramural season. So I think that junior year is kind of when I kind of focused on, you know, you know, maybe basketball is not my calling you know as a a player because everybody had their dreams and aspirations of wanting to play overseas or professional and so that's when i kind of tapped into you know skill development training and just coaching and you know even my coach at the time would say you know i could see you're going to be a coach you know he allowed me to run the the drills the stretching and i was named team captain but that's when i kind of honed into you know i think this is my calling you know just to be that leader to push other people to kind of you know, chase their goals and dreams and aspirations. So even though I was on the team, you know, I was keeping guys in the gym, doing extra work, skill development. When I come home in the summer, I was, you know, doing skill development training with guys overseas, guys in high school, guys in college. And so I think that's kind of how I spearheaded. That's that, just that motivation to want to lead and and just teach and inspire. And um, that's, that's what happened. I finished out my uh, two years um at college you know our head coach got let go and so they were hiring you know a a new coach I had to come back for additional semester because I transferred lost nine credits and so during that time um we were in the fall semester and I'm kind of like running the workouts and skill development with no coach being in place and so um they end up hiring a new coach and I went and met with them it was kind of like you know just finish playing here Um, would love to join your program and he shot me down right away it was like you know i want to bring my own staff in uh one thing about this business is you know trust and loyalty and i want to have my own staff put in place and i you know so i understand i I appreciate the opportunity you know to meet with you but he, he, he turned me down and so i'm walking back to my dorm room and you know some of the players were like you know coach you know what time are we working out tomorrow and i was like I wanted to say, you know, the new coach just shot me down, but that text message right there kind of changed and spearheaded my career because I said, you know what, same time tomorrow. And I still showed up to do workouts the next day. And it was just like the perfect timing because um, while we were working out, the new coach was kind of doing a campus tour with the athletic director and they finished up in the gym and they seen me doing workouts with the guys on the team and that I kind of had their ear and it was just intense. And the coach met with me, gave me the opportunity to join his staff, and just kind of took off from there.
0: Yeah, I love it. I mean, so many good things there. You know, I want to kind of dive back a little bit because I think you hit on so many things that people don't really think about, and honestly, things that we don't get a chance to discuss really on the pod, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, first thing is coming in as a highly recruited freshman, getting an opportunity to to learn and sit behind some guys, and then kind of figuring out the, the, the business of basketball along the way. Can you just talk a little bit about how being that freshman on coming into a championship-level team and recognizing that you might not play right away, but you need to add value to the team and how that mindset has helped you as a coach today?
1: Oh, well, absolutely. Well, you know, the biggest thing and a learning lesson was – that I took out of my decision was that you know St. Peter's, that which the school that everybody knows now with their historical run, um, that was actually my first offer. You know, uh, St. Peter's University coming out of high school and they were recruiting me and they wanted me to be a scoring point guard. And, um, you know, I kind of got caught up with the, you know, Delaware State seeing me play out in Vegas and then they sent me their schedule and, you know, not knowing at the time, you know, especially with HBCUs, it's kind of like we got to play these money games to, to raise money for our universities. You know, I'm just looking at it as a kid like, man, we got Duke, we got Marquette, we got, you know, Arizona State, you know, we got uh, Purdue, we got, you know, Wisconsin, University of Pitt. And so it was just like as a kid, I'm watching all these programs on TV, on ESPN, and I got a chance to play them. And so that was kind of what kind of steered me in that direction. Like, you know, I want to play, you know, at this level and play against these big-time schools. And so definitely coming in, you already kind of knew they they were a successful program. You kind of had to learn from the upperclassmen, and work extremely hard. But, you know, kind of being that sponge and our starting point guard was really, really good. And so I kind of had to battle and compete with him every day but kind of ask those questions and just seeing his work ethic and how he operated and I kind of, you know, took those things in and knew that I would apply them the year after. Um, but you know, when you have you know a core of guys that are really good, and you kind of built those relationship with their AAU coaches and their family members, and it was other. You know, uh, siblings coming in the year after because of previous commitments and stuff. You know, you don't know that as a kid coming in school. You just want to work and, you know, do what you're taught coming out of high school and just work for everything you have. And so it was a humbling experience, you know, coming from a nasty ranked high school program and you're playing against everybody's best at their high school and and junior colleges. And so it's kind of like you got to fend for yourself. You know, you got to go out there, go to war and process and put, you know, extra work in just to be valued by your coaching staff to show that. I'm ready to go you know you put me in the game i'm ready to go and so um you know you kind of got to know when it's time you know you feel like you've done everything you could i I never considered myself a quitter or i wanted to transfer you know i love the school but you know my passion of wanting to play and and have a bigger role and contribute to a program you know I, i couldn't do that you know from just sitting the bench and so i knew Um, You know, where I'm from in the city of Chester, you know, you're just a go getter, you know, you got to get after it. And it was just like, you know, I I can't bring that contribution sitting on a bench. I want more for myself. I want more for my role. I want to be able to, you know, bring more to a program. And so that's when I kind of thought it was the best decision for me, you know, and my family at the time to kind of go ahead and make a transfer situation.
0: Yeah, it's always such a challenge, I think. You know, people people recognize that there's a funnel, right? Like every time you take a step up, there's a funneling of players that kind of come in and out. Oh, and I absolutely. think sometimes it's really hard for people to understand that and just understand how hard it is to play in college basketball, you know. And mm-hmm. and I always tell, you know, when we're, when we're recruiting, I always say like, you know, don't underestimate how good the team is that you're walking into. Oh, you know, everybody on that roster was the best player on their team or the best players in their leagues. And the funnel um, really kind of reaches a point where, you know, really the chance to play versus not playing, it's so small. I mean, the margins Absolutely. are really small. And, you know, how much of it do you think comes down to just opportunity?
1: Um, I mean, a lot, you know, because it, and it and is weird, <laughs> you know, how the game works and, and just, you know, your timing of everything. And, like, I never regret my decision of, of going there because, you know, I look at where I'm at now and everything happens for a reason. But, you know, it's been times where it's just kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm standing afterwards. I'm getting extra shots up. Um, you know, I'm plucking my man in practice every day and just like he can't get the ball across half court, um, which kind of was my my mode of seeing the floor. I knew I had to tap in and just be a defensive specialist. And that was kind of what my name was coming out of high school. You know, I'm just going to take pride in defending. And you always need a guy like that on the team. And so, um, you know, sometimes when you think, the work you're putting in is not, you know, being noticed and then you kind of get down on yourself or the extra work you put putting in, it's not being noticed. And then, you know, I'm just like, you know, working extremely hard. And it was just like one game, you know, I'm just sitting at the end of the bench and I was the first up, you know, coach called, and I mean, we we're playing on ESPN two, And I'm like, it he calling me like, what in the world? And, and I just went sprinting to the table and I, I ran in and, and then actually played great minutes on a televised game. And so it was like, you know, you just got to stay stay even kill. You know, you can't get too down on yourself and you just can't give up on yourself because, you know, you might not be getting a lot of reps in practice, but you just never know the situation of the game. Your starting point guard might get hurt. You know, just a valuable lesson. Just, you know, just stay the course. You know, don't give up on yourself, continue to work. And once you kind of evaluate the situation after the end of a season, that's when you have those tough conversations with your coach, your family, and yourself to see you want to do this another two years, three years, or is it best to fit, you know, can you play a bigger role in another program?
0: Yeah. It's one of those, it's always so tricky, you know, because I, yeah. you know, just having so many guys coming to the office, you kind of recognize mm-hmm. that, man, you know, if you really give it another year, it might work or it might not, yeah. you know, and it, and I think when you're a player, it's hard to understand that, that really it's such a small margin. Um, yeah. And and I just you know that's why I asked you that because I mean I'm sure there's a ton of people that listen that are gonna try to help their young players or you know maybe even their family members and it's just so they so they understand it's like everyone's working really hard everyone's really talented right. it could work it could not work so finding a way in there and then when the opportunity presents itself just diving into it and giving everything you got and I hope that you have a little bit of luck you know, you know I hope that the guy Gotta you're guarding a that night that. has has a tough night you know
1: yeah absolutely
0: um then you talk a little bit I mean I think this is really good because you know you have so many programs that are like changing levels now and changing conferences and you've got kids that aren't eligible to play right away because of that and um, and you lived it you know you lived a two-year probation um what is that like as a player in that locker room I mean what's it like going to practice every day you know preparing I mean you know, everyone's looking towards that NCAA tournament at the end of the year. And so Mm -hmm. what is that like when when you don't have that as a kind of the carrot at the end?
1: Well, I I experienced it firsthand. Like you said, you know, we were all excited about it. I knew some of the players um, we had coming in. And then once we found out, it was just like, yeah, we're about to be full fledged members of the CIAA conference, but it was that big butt in there that, you know, but we still got to serve a two year sanction provisional. So What does that mean? You know, it means you're going to play a CIAA schedule, but it's just basically a regular season. You guys won't be able to compete for the tournament. So it was just kind of like it demoralized our whole team. And you could see by just our record, you know, we were very, very talented. We had athleticism, we had shooters, we had bigs, we had scrappy guards, but it was just kind of like we played like we weren't playing for anything. And so it was. It was more of a just a morale thing, or just like, hey, man, you guys gotta have pride. And I think that's when I kind of stepped up as a player. Is like, you know, we still gotta play for our university. We still gotta play for our families. We still gotta have pride, you know, because we started out the season very slow. And I think we kind of built that momentum mid-year to say, you know, we're not playing for anything, but we're playing for a pride. You know, we're playing for our our HBCU. We're playing for our university. And so we went on a nice little win streak, put some you know wins together. But I think it. It built us more as a team and, you know, I still have those relationships as teammates and it kind of helped us to prepare for, you know, real life, you know, the real world after graduating. So, um, I was glad I was being able to be a part of, you know, both situations still have, you know, a lot of relationships and experiences at, you know, Delaware state to help, you know, just the coach is very disciplined, you know, so just that helped nurture me as a coach because I still had those valuable lessons as a player. And then, you know, uh, transferring to Lincoln band another another coach that, you know, maybe wasn't as disciplined and what not to do as a coach, you know, so it, it kind of had valuable lessons at both programs, you know, how to be on time, how to be respectful, you know, how to work extremely hard but what not to do and, you know, how to continue to build and rapport um, with your teammates and, you know, just kind of empower them as teammates and give them the confidence to compete at a high level each and every night.
0: Yeah, you know, you talk you talk a lot as a player about seeing a lot of transitions, yeah. um, and then you've obviously been a part of that as, a, as an assistant <clears throat> coach and as, as a head coach. What are some things you learned as a player going through those transitions, transitions and learning from those coaches?
1: Well, that's what I kind of just stated on, like, you know, as a transition, as a player, Um, like I said, I wasn't seeing the floor as much, but, you know, that coach was very detail oriented, you know, very disciplined on, you know, what time we got, you guys need to be on the bus. You know, um, I always had a funny story. Me and my, one of my roommates were on a road trip, uh, playing against UGA and, um, we, we overslept and me and my roommate were the last to get on the bus. And, you know, we can kind of just feel coach's eyes, just, just looking at you as you're getting on the bus in that front seat. And he didn't say anything, and we were just like, man, we just so embarrassed, and this is something that you know I definitely wasn't used to doing. Especially, my father was in the Navy, and you know, always hearing his alarm going off in the morning. And you know, we thought we just got away with it, and we got the UGA, and coaches like you two bleachers. The whole entire practice and I was just like holy crap and he had an hour and a half practice and we were on the bleachers their entire time and so um definitely just being disciplined as a player and it kind of you know cultivated me um and my coaching aspect not to be militant or you know just super lax you know but to kind of hold my team accountable and to stress the the meaning of being on time and you know not keeping people waiting and you know being well-mannered and respectful. Um, at the same time. And then the transition of, you know, creating a culture when you kind of go to a situation where you feel like you're not playing for anything. I think, you know, having a positive role model coach that's going to kind of switch gears on your mindset of, you know, m- maybe we're not playing for anything, but we can use it as a valuable lesson to uh, improving this, improving that. And I, I just really didn't think we had that leadership and it kind of couldn't, you know, can demoralize the team or you kind of just not plan for anything. So just learning from that experience of finding creative ways that, you know, uh, change the mindset of your team, me being a division uh, two head coach, you know, we're playing against division one schools and you kind of, you know, reading the nine dynamic of my team, we're struggling, you know, scoring a ball, starting out, out, out ball games. And, you know, one game, I think we were playing St. Joe's, Um, We we came up, of actually played, we went down and played GW and um, defended them extremely well. We just couldn't score the ball. I think we held them to about 42 points in the game, but we, I think we scored 27, 28. So good fault game, you know, just couldn't score score the ball. So we played St. Joe's next and, you know, going into the game, nobody, you know, consider us going to win, you know, but how you change that mindset with your team and you can't look at it going into the game like we're going to lose, but let's just play. No hey, small victories at a time and let's attack this first quarter and we lost the first quarter of the last two games. And, you know, the goal is to try to win this first quarter offensively. Let's you know, let's see if we can win this first quarter. I got to promise that we win the first quarter, you guys don't have practice tomorrow. And, and just put something on the board to give them a goal to say, and they looking around like, we'll be off tomorrow? We came out and we won that first quarter 16 to 12. And so they're, they're extremely excited on the sideline at the time. But it's like I'm, we meeting as a staff, like you know, we can score the ball against this team. Let's go and win the game now. And yeah. you get back to the huddle. Hey, let's go win the game. You guys see that y'all beat them in the first quarter. And you guys got your jitters out. Let's go ahead and win the game. And so, man, we were up 16 at halftime. And those are just that's one game that I wish I could always get back. You know, you know, the whistle got a little tricky in the second half, and I just ran out of bodies. When you when you got six-two, six-two, six-two in the paint on the other side, and I got a six-one, and my next big is five-eleven, and they just start pounding it inside, and they and they fought back, and they end up beating us by six. But it was a game that I was extremely proud of my team. You know, you're, you're going against an eight-ten opponent. You know, uh, with a Division two roster, and and we and we fought, and so um, you know, still being able to you know beat three Division one schools, three years in a row, you know, while being there, that just came from changing the mindset. You know, I know they're Division one and I know they're supposed to, but, you know, they bleed just like we bleed. You know, we're going to prepare just like everybody else is preparing. And so once we dug into some film and, you know, built that confidence in our team, you know, they got up ready to play those teams.
0: Yeah, you know, it's so huge. I mean, I think learning how to win those games in a non-conference and how to build that kind of confidence, you know, I'm curious. I mean, um, you know, I played in the NEC, so we played a lot of money games early in the year. Then I coached in NEC, and we played a lot of money games early in the year. I'm curious about how you felt like that helped develop your coaching mentality.
1: Well, it it was not only just my mentality as a coach, but I knew um, just from a resource standpoint it was something I had to do. Um, not a fully funded scholarship program, and you know I'm I'm playing against everybody in my league that are fully funded and I'm getting big time division one transfers that wanted to come down and play or, you know, just, you know, struggle with the financial piece of being able to give them a full ride. You know, I knew I had to do something else that can kind of entice them or engage them in wanting to come. And So I, you know, met with my administration and it was just like, you know, if I'm able to play these games, could these games go to my program? And they were all for it. You know, we don't have the money or funding to put towards your budget, but whatever you raise, hey, see fit to use it for your programs, And so I was able to, you know, I went and played Syracuse. That was a big-time money game for us. Played Maryland, you know. And so these are big-time, you know, one, just establishing relationships with, you know, bigger coaches, but to also create funding and resources for my program. And once that money came in, I was able to pay my volunteer assistants a stipend. I was able to get a substantial amount of gear – where if I can lace my team with, you know, winter jackets, training shoes, travel shoes, sweatsuits, it kind of, you know, brings a a sense of pride and just joy to be able to say, you know, I might be taking out a $4,000 loan, but coach take care of it on the back end with these book bags and winter coats and winter hats. And, you know, when we stroll up in other teams' gym, you guys are fully funded scholarship wise, but, you know, I just put 15,000 towards gear and so we are we we look better than you guys and if you look good you play good and so it just established that confidence in my team that you know they knew their coach had their back and you know we're going to look good and my staff was well taken care of knowing that you know they're not on you know a full you know full-time you know job but you know i'm still getting you know a stipend on the side and so you kind of got more out of your staff as well but you know sometimes people ask well, do you think it's going to demoralize your team? You know, if, if you play against a Maryland and, and, and uh, Syracuse and you lose by 50, 60 points. And I absolutely not. You know, one, it doesn't go on my record. You know, two, it helps me in the long run, you know, financially. But that's that thing as a coach. Again, you kind of change the mindset, you know. And sometimes you, you got to hype them up. You know, you, you guys want to play Maryland? You know, they got players on the team that's going to be in the WNBA. You can always tell your kids, you know, I played against Kayla Charles and I played against Shakira Austin. And so, um, but also, is this something you guys do not want to do? I had those conversations. And they say, yeah, coach, well, shoot, it's going to be on television. And you know, it, it don't count towards our record, but you always want to make sure that, you know, one, they're not afraid or, you know, it's not something that, they don't want to do and so you know we had those conversations they were up to it and you know we competed well with both programs and so um they see the reason why later on once you know they see once we can you know put more money towards a program having team engagement you know opportunities to do stuff as a team bowling night um you know go to a laser tag, you know, just go to haunted houses, you know, all that funding comes from just having additional money put in my budget where we can have more team bonding and engaging opportunities with those extra resources.
0: Last call with Jamie and Christian is powered by Speakeasy for Sports, the first exclusive platform for sports professionals by sports professionals. We connect you directly with top performers in the industry And allow you to build the relationships that will help grow your career. Think of it as the Final Four, NBA Summer League, or any other sports convention. All now from your laptop and phone 24-7, 365. Careers grow through relationships, and relationships grow through Speakeasy. Join the Speakeasy family today at speakeasyforsports.com. Yeah, you know, I, I felt like additionally, like, gave our team, like, great resiliency. You know, oh, you could always yeah. tell the teams at the beginning of the year that didn't play anybody when you get to conference play and they kind of have that, oh, yeah. that skid, you know, and you could tell the teams that played good opponents all year long. And, you know, it's just that mentality that we're going to play good teams. We're a good team. We're going to play good teams. And we're going to do whatever's necessary that's best for our program. And, oh, and, and that's always trying to win, obviously, but there's other needs that we have and trying to figure out a way to to, to figure those things out always are really important. You know, I feel like when I, when I connect with a lot of coaches – in the first first or second years and their, their first opportunities, a lot of guys struggle learning how to figure it out. You know, if you're coming from a program where you've always had everything, you've never had to figure it out. And so I think it's a tremendous strength of yours. They've had to figure it out along the way, and you've had to make some sacrifices, some calculated sacrifices. And you've been able to have a lot of success with it. Absolutely. What's that like? I mean, you know, you, you're a really successful head coach at Lincoln, just did a tremendous job there over the six seasons. What's that decision like to go be an assistant coach at the Division I level? Um, how do you make that sort of decision?
1: To this day, I, I feel like that was probably the toughest decision I ever had to make. You know, um, enjoyed my time at Lincoln and, you know, just even getting my foot in the door. You know, I didn't I didn't mention, you know, I had a successful stint as an assistant coach on the men's side. And, um, you know, to this day, we still currently hold, division two record at Lincoln for most wins in a season and just, you know, kind of watching the women's program progress each <clears throat> and every year, you know, I'm sitting in my office one day and four young ladies from the team came knocking on my door and, you know, with my time being an assistant on the, on the men's side, I was able to develop, you know, all rookie team, um, you know, CIAA, uh, first team all conference just basically re- building that relationship and rapport with them on the court and the women's team they recognize that they seen that and so they came to my office and saying you know coach we have an opening for our head job and you know we love how you kind of develop that rapport and relationship with your players and that skill development piece and we're looking for that you know in our next coach and I was just like you know that's great did you guys go share that with the athletic director and they like No, we're sharing it with you because we want you to be our coach. And I'm like, oh, whoa, what's going on here? And so I kind of explained it. I'm like, you know, it's not like the local boys and girls club where I (laughs) walk out and be like, all right, I'm your guy's coach. I said, it's a whole process. You know, you got to go through and, you know, apply for the job. They was like, well, we want you to apply for the job. And so I I never even thought about it. Like me one coaching on a women's side, the two, you know, uh, this is after being an assistant for five years. Am I ready? You know, you just never really know when you're ready. And so I go to talk to my boss. And he was like, you know, I would hate to lose you, but you know, I think, you know, it, the time is now it's a great opportunity because you're already here at Lincoln you know went home talked to the family about it they prayed about it it was like we think you should do it and so um, I applied for the job and it's, it's funny I'm coming into interviews with a full suit on at the the job I'm already at you know and it's just going downstairs to the AD's office and then you know late in the year uh, September I get a phone call from the AD come on down and was named, you know, the head women's coach. And, you know, I just, I thought I had no chance in hell. You know, it was 167 applicants. You know, I'm a five-year assistant on the men's side. Um, but just the the work you put in, you really never know who's watching. And so those student athletes, you know, seeing the work that I was putting in on the men's side, and they wanted that, you know, in their coach. And so once, you know, having that opportunity to move over, we had a lot of success and, like, just doing a lot of team bonding having a lot of fun just kind of instilling my culture and my philosophy of playing and um, we went on and won a lot of ball games and so came with a lot of success and you know, i was able to have two you know first team uh, all conference and player of the years um ecac player of the year um i was able to you know become coach of the year um you know voted by the coaches in the league and you know also becoming nationally ranked you know and for the first time in school history and so you having all this success and then you come back and you're ready to get started at that after that big you know nasty ranked year you're coming off of being coach of the year and then it's kind of like you know once you're starting to have a little success now the president and AD is like well he was able to get to the final four in the tournament with four scholarships let's try to give him six well he just become nationally ranked with six scholarships coach of the year let's give him a little bit more let's get him to six and a half and so it's kind of like i was able to put that roster together where i felt like i got all the pieces i need you know i got shooters i got athleticism i got bigs i got probably the two best point guards in the league and so that's when i kind of knew i had the talent i started scheduling those uh, syracuse maryland division one schools raising money and we play you know six games starting the season out and that's when COVID happened you know in our season a lot of division twos canceled. And so it was just like as a coach, it was just very deflating, you know, because it was like you're coming off the biggest, biggest season of your career and you nasty ranking. You got the player of the year. I was coach of the year. You know, dealt with some injuries late in the year where we should have been able to win the whole thing. But you know, when your top kids aren't on the floor, it's just tough to win. But you had everybody coming back, you had everybody healthy. And then boom, COVID happened. And so it was just like, wow, you know, it was it was very eye opening to you know how life can change so quickly. And you're sitting back watching division one still play, you know, so now as a coach, I got to strategically keep my team engaged. You know, everybody was sent home, you know, they're not on campus no more. So we're doing team Zooms, having team movie night, team game night on Zoom, but we're not playing. And so Um, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about my career and what's next, you know, because I have this whole team coming back, but you know, COVID is real and COVID is still happening. And so that we go into that next season and that, that, that summer after the season, my phone is ringing off the hook. So I had a lot of offers on the table and, um, I was actually interviewing for some head jobs. It was kind of like just the timing of everything. I had three guaranteed offers as an assistant. And then I kind of was a runner up for one D one job. And then I was a finalist for one. Um, but they were like, you know, we're going to bring you on campus in three weeks and you're in the final three. And I'm like, I got three guarantees. And then I got a possible head coaching opportunity three weeks away. And I can't keep three guarantees waiting. Who says I'm going to get this job. And so it was kind of like, just, you know, like I said, just digesting everything, praying about it, talking to the family. And, um, also just realizing you know if i go back to lincoln you know is this is the season going to be canceled again and i think that was the hardest pill to swallow of you know can division two really financially sustain this COVID? you know with the testing three times a week and you know are we really going to play and so i think that was the biggest reason what made me have to make that tough decision you know was COVID. And um, you know, just talking to Coach A at, at, at Delaware at the time just had a, a great situation for me. It was still close to home. Um, my family, um, parents had just bought a home in Delaware, and they would be able to catch every game. But just us already having a relationship, you know, me, um, you know, considering her a mentor at the time, um, where I can call her and ask her advice and questions about, you know, just even being a head coach or just situational things uh, as a coaching standpoint, you know, she was always a a phone call away. And so to go join her staff, it it was a no brainer, you know, um, with the situation at the time. And so um, decided to join and and leave Lincoln at the time. But the toughest thing was to to get get on a Zoom, you know, with those players Mm -hmm. to kind of say, you know, uh, I know we're coming off a phenomenal season, you know, but, you know, where i'm at in my career you know I, I just got bigger goals and aspirations that i want to continue to accomplish um, that was the toughest conversation to have you know with my team and i still told them like you know just because i'm leaving you know you guys already built the foundation you guys need to stay together um you know the next coach is going to come in and if you guys all stay together the goal remains the same and so that's exactly what happened everybody you know that was on the core of the team decided to stay we lost a couple of recruits with me deciding to leave but the, the 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 table was already set you know the team stayed and it worked to perfection they was able to capture the ciaa championship that very next year and i went on to delaware and was able to help them capture a championship so it was a full circle moment you know because it was you know coach A was phenomenal she actually gave me the day off from practice to you know drive down to baltimore to see my team play and just sitting there front row, just knowing all the blood, sweat and tears we put into that program to see them playing in a championship game and just getting it done, man. It was just very emotional for me at the time, but just, you know, happy at the same time. And then it's just like, all right, back to work for me tomorrow. Like, it was also motivating and you know, I was able to come back and share that story with my team and just to see us, you know, be able to capture the CAA title man it was just you know a full circle moment
0: yeah you know i don't know if people understand like how much you want your team to win after you, after you depart yeah you know yeah. i think you know in in most 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 places they probably think it's better you know if they lose but mm-hmm. i think when you really care about your players and you really care about the experience that they have and you have a strong understanding of what they put into it and you have a and you have a strong security in yourself mm-hmm. um, you know the very best people when they, they always leave their situations better than how they found it.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and
0: it, it seems you obviously have that common thread, you know, from going from being that kind of like student assistant and trying to hustle and work it. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because you already say you had five years at Lincoln, but really you had way more than that. You know, oh, they were absolutely. watching you as a player. they were watching you, uh, how you interacted. They got a chance to learn how you responded through adversity and so you really had like an eight year tryout <laughs> at Lincoln yep, to have the opportunity to to be the guy standing there and make those kind of decisions. And that's a credit to you, uh, even as a younger player, kind of recognizing
1: um, that what you're
0: trying to do is bigger than yourself.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, especially I took a lot of heat, though. You know, I, your boys calling like, damn, they call me Mark Jackson. <laughs> oh, and I was just like, you guys don't get it. You guys don't understand the coaching business. Yeah. But um, it was just a relationship, like you said, with the players. Um, I showed up at their scene night, you know, just to see them, took pictures with them, and um, you know, just the respect from the administration at the time. Um, see me at the game, and they they brought me a court pass to come down and yeah. kind of just you know vibe with the team and celebrate with them. You know, even though I wasn't on the sideline. You know, coaching the game, they knew the the role and impact I had with that team. And, and they seen me on that sideline and they just came over crying and embraced me and just, you know, was able to share how, you know, truly proud I am.
0: Yeah. And that's everything. And, um, I mean, I oh, think, yeah, absolutely. I think having that level of respect, mm-hmm. um, and that's what it really is. You know, I think, I do think yeah. sometimes in college sports, we're losing a level of respect oh, with maybe administrators sure. and coaches. But it yeah. sounds like you guys had a great level of respect. Uh, it wasn't, oh, absolutely. you know, you departed. They were angry. You departed. It was a level of understanding. And then when you come back to join in a watch, it's a level of respect allow you to watch your yeah. team. That's that's a pretty cool experience.
1: Oh yeah, and then they showed up for our, our championship game and selection Sunday, and um, you know, it, it was just wow, fulfilling.
0: Oh, I, I I enjoy hearing about it. Um, talk a little bit about I mean you're at Delaware for one year and then you guys make the jump to to Arizona State. Uh every coach kind of dreams of that happening, right? You make the move, you time it up perfectly, you get one or two years at one spot and then you get the big jump. What's it like making that jump to Arizona State and what what sort of things have you learned already?
1: Oh, well, absolutely. Like you said, you know, making that jump, um, to go on back to being an assistant, you know, was uh you know, something I was just like, you know, is this the right move? You know, because a lot of those interviews I was on, it was kind of like I kept getting that, you know, you don't have division one experience, you don't have the division one experience, and so it's kind of like I gotta get that box filled, you know, because you know I'm tired of hearing that in these interviews, even though it's just like, you know, I feel like at division two you're doing so much more you know with just the lack of resources and as being a a head coach and I was strength coach I was the sports psych I was you know tutor I was just you know uh fundraising coordinator you are just wearing so many hats and so it's just kind of like when you make that jump to division one now you're getting that division one experience but you're also learning the game a different way you know your different terminology and so Um, I think that was the biggest hurdle for me coming in and just processing everything that they're teaching. You know, what's the terminology on defense? What's the terminology on offense? You know, what are the type of sets they're running instead of coming in and kind of saying, you know, I'm used to doing stuff this way, or this is how I did things. I was a sponge, you know? So um, I think that was the biggest thing of the connection with the staff, because I didn't come in with the ego or just saying, you know, we should try this. I learned and when one once asked, or, you know, coach, could you provide some, you know, insight on this or what did you do against this? I was ready. You know, when coach did ask me to bring in certain sets or plays or out-of-bounds situations or end-game situations, I already got a folder full of it. And so um just really learning, you know, the process and the resources, just learning that, you know, I, I do have more to work with, and but I also have help. You know so just being able to you know ask those questions if i did struggle with anything and or go to certain offices for resources um, but you know they had success before i got there and it was just like you know what could i bring to the table to add to the success and it was kind of just like really building a relationship with the players. And that was kind of always my MO, just having the players and skill development workouts and just having a chance to work with Jasmine Dickey, who, you know, went on and got drafted to the WNBA. It kind of speaks for itself. And so building a rapport with, you know, just some of the ones that weren't playing as much, you know, you have established culture there already. You got a top seven that's going to play 30, 35 plus minutes. Well, you, what about the other seven through 14? That, you know, wants to be in that role and kind of mimic myself, you know, when I was in college, you know, I can go to them and tell them about my experience. Like, hey, look, just stay ready. You know, you never know when you, your number is going to get called, um, you know, just building confidence. And I'm just, hey, you're on a second unit and your job is to make the first unit better. If You're going to just come in here and slack every day because you're not playing. How are we getting better as a team? your job is to be showing the staff that you can outwork them and outplay them in practice. And so now you're picking up that intensity on the second unit is pushing that first unit even harder where now practices are even competitive. And, you know, we went through a phase where we lost three starters for like three weeks. And then I'm looking at them like, see, prime example, you know, time for you guys to step up and be ready to play. And so I just think being that voice in the locker room or just in the office on the staff to kind of help the rest of the team stay engaged and locked in and, you know, just bringing the contribution that, you know, I felt like, you know, this coach is working on X's and O's, this coach is on defense, this coach is, you know, just leading the program, you know, where can I fit in and kind of bring a dynamic to the staff. And I felt like that's what was my niche for Delaware, just to keep everybody engaged, locked in, skilled development, and it, it brought a great asset to the program. And um, we were able to get the job done and we won. And so. Coach had a lot of schools calling for her and she knew she wanted to go somewhere warm. And um, she visited Arizona State and fell in love with the place and she called. And you know, at the time I actually was interviewing, I had some schools reaching out um, and she was just like, you know, I want you to come with me. You know, you did a phenomenal job for me this year. And if I choose this school, are you coming? And I was just like, let's do it. Let's do it. And so. Um. Here I am now. We're excited to be here trying to establish culture, put our system in, you know, get the girls playing well, doing a lot of team bonding and uh, camaraderie things. And, you know, here we are.
0: And here we are, man. Well, I've enjoyed our convo. Absolutely. Um, I, we finished this thing off here at Last Call with one final question. And, um, you know, it's called Last Call, you know, so imagine if you will, it's end of the night. Uh, you know, that, that that bell has been rung for the last call. To the left of you, you have someone who's retired. Um, and to the right of you, you have someone who's still alive. What two people are you going to have beside
1: you? So to the left of me, I wouldn't say, you know, he's retired. He's, you know, my mentor and uh, John Hill.
0: Okay. He
1: got me into the business. He's the one that uh who shot me down and I never let him, you know, forget it. Yeah. Uh, he turned me down in that first conversation. And, um, man, man, to this day, man, I'm as tight as a whip. Um, but, you know, still seeking to try to get back in. But, you know, just knowledgeable of the game, you know, uh, taught me a lot just about the the grind of the business and work ethic and, you know, just watching film. You know, we would be meeting as a staff about 12, 30, one o'clock on road trips watching film. And he's like, all right, let's touch base again at 6 a.m. at breakfast. And I used to be like, oh, hold up. that's four four hours of sleep and so um he's definitely someone you know I can definitely pick up the phone and call you know every day and um you know to the right of me you know not a coach but you know I know you say keep family out of it but I think you know family is kind of what kept me well grounded as a player and as a coach you know because sometimes you just feel like you know you can't always you know voice your opinion or vent to your staff or everything but you know your your family kind of always bring you back you know level and just you know continue to motivate you and pray for you as well and so um, when i look to my right it's always going to be my parents that i can call and just get guidance and just you know uh you know just spiritual um you know spiritual prayers and just you know thoughts and inspirations you know poured into me to keep me going and motivated you know even if it's you know a bad day or just really you know, feeling down on myself, you know, I can always count on them to kind of keep me level-headed and, you know, don't forget where you came and your upbringing. So um, those are two people I will always, you know, look to my left and right or just a phone call away.
0: I love it. I love it. And I've really enjoyed our conversation, Coach Mosley, and uh, I'm going to wish you continued success out there at Arizona State. That's Jamie and Christian, last call. Assistant coach at Arizona State, Darrell Mosley, joins us today. Thanks for your time, Coach.
1: Thanks, Coach. I thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate this.
0: Thank you for joining us on The Last Call, powered by Speakeasy, where careers grow through relationships and relationships grow through Speakeasy. We hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to connecting with you soon.